we're going to jump into John chapter 8. And rather than read the story to you, I'm going to tell you the story. It's a story that many of you will be already be familiar with and be aware of. You've probably used it in your life. You have probably, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably quoted it. You have probably used it as uh, reasoning, and you have probably used it as theology. Uh, this is good, but sometimes, sometimes we don't quite get the meaning correct. So I want to tell you this story, and our title today is simply going to be this, Where Are Your Accusers? Father, I thank you for your presence that I feel here today. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for caring for us. I thank you that you are here with us because our lives matter to you. Our hearts matter to you. Our souls matter to you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. Let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your Son, Jesus. Lord, move me out of the way that your will might be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our story picks up and Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's early in the morning. There's a hint of chill in the air. Jesus is standing atop the Temple Mount. Maybe he's looking over the Mount of Olives where he had spent the night before. Maybe as he looked, he took a quick glance at the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew he would one day be betrayed. Or maybe he stole a look over to the right at Caiaphas' house where he would be beaten and imprisoned while in front of a kangaroo court. Maybe he took a glance at Calvary or the whipping post. As these thoughts went through his head, this other thought did as well, but this was Jerusalem, this was the city of David, and this temple was his father's house, and these people, even the ones who had hated him, and even the ones who conspired to have him killed, they were the reason that he came. A crowd had gathered as he stood and thought. They asked him to, again to teach them, for Jesus taught with an assurance, with a confidence, and with authority that they had never heard before. His message was different. It was a message of love and forgiveness. It stood in stark contrast to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other teachers of the day. Their message was full of condemnation, demanding perfection in the eyes of the law. People didn't matter, only the law and using it to gain control, influence, and power. But not Jesus. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are peaceful. Don't murder. Don't even be angry. In fact, if you have anger in your heart and it's time to worship, go and make things right before returning to worship God. He said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, give them your left cheek also. And if a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Forgive those who have wronged you time and time again every day. Do not judge, for to the same measure or the same standard that you judge, you too will be judged. And finally, with the golden rule, do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. What powerful words of love and kindness and forgiveness, and yet he was hated for them. 
So the crowd gathered, gathered in Jesus one more time. He sat down with a crowd around him and he began to teach. Which of these topics he chose that day, we do not know. But as he taught, a group of people began to push their way through the crowd. Filled with arrogance and hatred, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law forced their way through the people, dragging a young woman behind them. And the, to, the, to the dismay of those watching, these angry men forced her to stand and face her community. Whispers, who was this woman? What had happened? We all know that the Pharisees hate Jesus and they often try to trap him. What do they have planned today? Will they get him this time? Why is that woman crying? What did she do? As Jesus stops talking, one of the men speaks up. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that she's to stone her. What do you say? Silence. Each man, each woman looking anxiously at Jesus and then back at the woman. They knew the law, and they knew that the Pharisees were correct. But what would Jesus do? He knelt down and began writing in the dust. What was he writing? We don't know for sure. Some say he was writing the names of men in the audience. Others say that he was writing the sins of those around him, those who, uh, the sins of those who around him had committed. But we won't know until we get to heaven. The men shouted again, breaking up the silence, demanding an answer. Thinking we've got him now, there's no way out of this one. What will your message of love and forgiveness do now? For Jesus, if you stone her, you defy your own message. But if you acquit her, you stand in defiance of the law of Moses. Finally, Jesus stood up. And with that strength and that love, he said these words, All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. The crowd gasped and then silence again. And Jesus was riding in the dust. He's not even looking up. Silence. It can be so loud. Our own thoughts, our own fears, our own mistakes, they speak so loudly. A realization of who we are and the sins that we've committed echoes in our hearts. Maybe in this moment, Jesus wanted self-reflection. Maybe it was never about what he was writing. Maybe it was about a silence. Just for a moment, for every man, for every woman, and every child to take a deep look into their own soul and into their own history. For Jesus knew that everyone looking at him that day had sinned. They had a past, and they had mistakes. Many who have translated this verse have said that a more accurate translation would be that let the one who has never committed this sin throw the first stone. I'm not an expert, but truthfully, it doesn't matter for Jesus in a way that only God can. In this moment, he exposed the hearts of every man. Suddenly, the old guy at the end, he'd been quiet, but now he, he's leaving. He didn't say a word, he just left. No more accusations. He just slipped away. And one by one, the accusers slinked away, disappearing into the crowd until all were gone. It was Jesus, this broken woman, and the crowd who had gathered to hear him teach. All eyes were fixed on Jesus. What would he say? What would he do? 
Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Through her tears and through her brokenness, this poor woman says, No, sir. And Jesus, with the love that we have come to expect from him, says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Powerful words, simple, yet not just life-changing, world-changing. It's in these words, in this moment, that something shifted. For in Christ, there is no condemnation. And this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, caught in the sin, she was forgiven and given another chance. This message, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Since none of us here today and none there that day are without sin, there should be no stones cast. To the religious, cast no stones. To the angry, cast no stones. To the hurting, cast no stones. To the betrayed, cast no stones. Nobody's perfect, so no one judge anyone else has become the attitude of the day. It seems to be right. It seems to be what Jesus taught. For Jesus did say, do not judge. It seems to be the message in the story of the adulterous woman, tolerance. You do you, I'll do me, and no one judge anyone else. Hyper grace, super grace. No matter the sin, Jesus will forgive me. So I am free, and I am free from the law so I can live however I want, and I can do whatever I want. The end result of this message, the end result of this teaching, of these beliefs, lends you at a place where there is no more sin. This message fits our culture, where we are free to choose our own beliefs, choose our own religion. No one can tell you who to be or how to live. In fact, no one can even tell you your own gender. You get to choose. There is no sin. You get to choose right, and you get to choose wrong. Never judge me, but tolerance and acceptance of my lifestyle and my choices, that is what is demanded. To understand what Jesus did, though, we must step away from our American Christianity and find out what really happened on that day. Because I don't believe that tolerance was the message that Jesus was sending. I don't believe a message of you do you and it'll all be okay was the message. Love and forgiveness, not casting stones. These are good messages, one intended in this story, but the problem is bigger. For it has been said that truth out of balance is heresy. Truth when we don't present the other side and overemphasis on one side without allowing other truths to qualify and balance it. It becomes heresy and it leads us astray. So let's balance the story. We must first understand that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had so much hatred and anger in their hearts that a defense of no one is perfect, everybody has a past, would never have worked with these men. Their whole existence was, upon, was, was built upon living right according to the law. So to say, well, nobody's perfect, let's not judge, would not have sufficed them that day. They were angry, they were upset, they were accusing. The second thing we have to understand is that Jesus could not break the law of Moses. For if Jesus had broken the law of Moses to let this woman off the hook, then Jesus would have been sinning 
and his whole plan to come to this earth as the spotless lamb, as the sinless sacrifice, would never have worked. So Jesus didn't let her off the hook by breaking the law of Moses. How did he get her free? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. It's been said in our culture today that the law doesn't matter, it has no place. And yet the very words of Jesus said, he did not come to abolish the law. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Listen to this. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't abolish the law. But then he turns and he says, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is teaching us. I didn't come to abolish the law. The law has a purpose. You should teach the law and you should live according and obey the laws of God. But this doesn't work. In our, in our hyper-grace teaching of the day. But here's the truth. The other side of the coin, if you will. I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and his point here is it can't, because they're doing everything they can to do it right. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus that you will enter the kingdom of heaven. He came to accomplish the purpose of the law. Ignore it and be called the least. Teach and obey it and you'll be called great. But the law cannot make you righteous. So we come back to our story. The law says in the book of Deuteronomy and also in the book of Leviticus that if you were caught in the very act of adultery, first and foremost, both the man and the woman were to be put to death. Where was the man? The truth is, Many scholars believe that he was amongst her accusers. The second thing is this. For her to be convicted, for you to be convicted of a crime worthy of death, there it was required by law to be two or three or more eyewitnesses. So someone would have had to seen this. And then finally, the eyewitnesses not only had to step forward and say, I saw it with my own eyes but they had to be willing to cast the first stone. You see, these were not just words that Jesus was saying. This was a legal argument. He said, let he who is among you that is without sin cast the first stones. If you haven't committed this sin, or if you are spotless, cast the first stone. And here is the problem with that. If you have the same sin and you cast the first stone, the next stones will be coming at you. And so her accusers walked away. When Jesus makes the statement, where are your accusers? It's a legal argument. It's a legal statement. It wasn't just pointing out the fact that they were all gone. He was pointing out the fact the very same law that they were trying to use to stone her had been used to set her free. Jesus didn't break the law in order to free her. No accusers, no eyewitnesses, no one to cast this first stone. She was free to go. You know, we don't want to judge. In fact, Jesus warns us, don't judge. 
For with the same measure that you use, you too will be judged. But a deeper study of the New Testament in the words of Jesus is the fact that we do have to judge. It's part of who we are as believers, as children of God. Judging is a part of what we do, but we must do it in the right heart and the right spirit. Jesus, his world was one of religion and rules and regulations and demands. And so he was changing the view and he was bringing love and forgiveness. But our world has moved the opposite way. Our world is one of anything goes. You choose right or wrong. But the words of Jesus still stand the test of time. We don't get to make up our own beliefs. We don't get to make up our own Christianity. We don't get to make up our own values or our own gender or our own right and wrong. We, we must live according to the word of God or the laws of God. So how do we respond to sin in our world? How do we respond like Jesus did on this day? Because clearly he was not here just saying, because we all have a past, because we all have a sin. Let's not cast stones at each other. No, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. First, we have to understand as we approach the world, as we look out at those around us whose lives are full of sin, whose lives are full of problems, who are li- whose lives are full of issues, first of all, we have to know that we are not accusers. Never be an accuser in your life. An accuser is one who is seeking out sin, who is looking to punish, to humiliate, to convince the world of evil doing. Jesus didn't seek the sinner out. The the sinner came to him. Accusers seek sin out, to call it out, to bring embarrassment. Don't be an accuser in your life. We're not looking to make a scene. We are looking to lead people to the love of God. Second, we have to know And be willing to call sin, sin, but in love. Don't let the belief of society that there is no sin and there is no right and wrong and you get to choose for yourself confuse you. No, there is sin and the Bible is very clear. I know that being vague is in vogue, but we should never be vague on the things that the Bible is clear on. Sin is sin. Sin still, sin still exists. We, can, we know this by reading the words of Jesus and the writings of Paul and the other writers of the New Testament. And the law exists for a reason. Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But watch this. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, here's the problem. If we put away the law and we say it has no place, and I'm freed from the law, then we also have no understanding of sin. While I'm not bound to the law, and I am free from the law, and God is not looking to punish me, He uses the law to illuminate sin and wrongdoing in my life. It becomes a framework for what is right and what is wrong. But notice, Jesus He didn't list out her sins. He didn't seek to embarrass her in front of the crowd. He simply told her to stop sinning. She knew the law. Thus she knew her sin. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. Thirdly, we have to understand grace. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. For we have died to sin. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We died to sin. 
God has helped us to overcome sin in our life so we don't keep living in it just because grace will abound. No, we overcome sin. You see, grace is not a license to sin, but the power to overcome sin, to live righteously and do His will. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is the power that lets us stand up and face our enemies and face our demons and overcome them. Hyper-grace, live however we want, sin as much as we want. God has already forgiven us. Yes, God will forgive all of your sins. He's that good. His grace is that sufficient. But the other side is, don't keep living in the sin that we're in. Use the grace of God to overcome sin in your life. What did Jesus say to the sinner? What did Jesus say to me? What did Jesus say to you on our day when maybe we're not in the crowd, but maybe we're the young woman standing before the community being accused, accused of our sins? As our life is being shown to the world in all of our hidden places and all of our dark places, what would Jesus say to us? Maybe it's not adultery, but maybe it is a sexual sin in some form or fashion. Maybe it's a hidden sin or even some public sin or some public struggle, whatever the case might be. What would Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to me? First, he would say, go and sin no more. Don't get caught up where you are. There is a difference between accusing of sin and acknowledging sin. If there is no acknowledgement of sin, then there is no need for repentance. And if there is no repentance, then there is no salvation. So we come before our God. And we don't act as if we have never sinned or, we, or that we are perfect in every way. We come before our God and we lay our hearts out before the Lord. And we say, God, I acknowledge the sin in my life. And Jesus says to us, okay, now go and sin no more. Jesus didn't deny her sin, nor did she. He didn't authorize her to go live any way she wanted. He didn't just say go. He said go and sin no more. Make the change. Don't do it any longer. Live your life in love and truth and in balance. Don't, don't, don't live your life in the same sin that you came here today with. Jesus said these words after asking where are her accusers. He said, neither do I. I don't accuse you. You know, we have to understand the heart of our Father God. While He illuminates the sin in our life, He doesn't do it to condemn us. He doesn't do it to embarrass us. He doesn't do it to expose us. But He does it so that we will acknowledge our need for a Savior. Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The problem is this. Even when we don't acknowledge our sin, that sin is leading us to death. You can say it doesn't exist. You can say it doesn't matter. But that sin that exists because God's word says it exists. And God's word never returns void. It is in your life and it will lead you to death. But if we will acknowledge it and we will come to Jesus who does not come to condemn us. But through the life, the power of the life giving spirit, he wants to free you from the power of sin grace through his grace it's it's the power to overcome and to live righteously it's been said that we are the masters 
We are masters of managing sin rather than repenting of sin. We're masters at covering. We're masters at making sure it doesn't go too far. We draw lines and we get right up to the line of sin and we say, that's close enough. We're, we're, we're masters of, of trying to create balance and yet you cannot manage sin for sin will control you and sin will rule you. Any, any sin that you allow to stay in your life will eventually rule you. So the Bible promises that we have the power to break the back of sin. We have the power to be freed from sin. I want to speak this over your life today. If there's sin in your heart, if there is sin in your life, if there are decisions that you've made and words that you have said and things that you have done, places that you have gone, people that you have been with, sins that you can't seem to stop committing. My encouragement to you today is that the power of the life-giving Spirit is freeing you in this moment. The things that have held you down the chains that have held you hostage, the sin that has burdened your heart and your life. As we pray in just a moment, it's going to be broken. Things that have been in you and your family for generations, broken. There is no power of the enemy that can overcome the power of God in your life. Broken thing that is trying to kill your life and destroy your life and destroy your eternity it's done through the power of God and then finally Jesus said where are your accusers you see we try to break sin we try to do better we work hard to overcome we work hard to do the right things and yet it's the voices of those around us who know our sin. They know our weakness. And they keep us from receiving the forgiveness that Jesus has already offered us. They keep us from being free from the sin. They say, you're this and you'll always be this. You've done that and you'll always do it. You've been this and you will always be it. And they, they lie to us. And when people are not in our ears and people are, when people are not speaking into our lives, keeping us away from what God has for us, there is always the voice of the devil. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. You have to understand something. There is an enemy that is not waiting on someone else to accuse you. He is accusing you. He will speak into your ears. He will speak into your heart. He will speak into your life day in and day out. He's trying to remind you and he's trying to remind God of the sins in your life. He's trying to keep you bound and keep you where you are and convince you that God cannot help you, cannot, God cannot save you. God doesn't even love you or doesn't even want to help you. This is so far from the love of God. It is simply the voice of the accuser in your life. You see, that accuser was in heaven with God. But the sin in his heart went unrepented. And he is facing the judgment. And he knows that he will spend his eternity in hell. And so his desire is to make sure you're punished for your sin like he's being punished for his sin. 
His desire for you is to pay the ultimate price like he is paying the ultimate price. Because he's hurting and he's angry and he is living in torment every single day for the rest of eternity. And he wants you to do the same. And don't you understand that most of the accusers in your life, the people, they too have been hurt. And they want you to feel what they feel. Maybe they are being punished and they want you punished like they are punished. Maybe they've been betrayed and so they want you to feel the pain of betrayal. Maybe they didn't get away with their sin, so they don't want you to get away with your sin. There's an old saying that says, hurt people, hurt people. It's the accusers in our life. Many have accused you, but the grace of God has come for you today. Forgiveness is here today. He's offering you his righteousness. Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Silence. I don't know every detail of your life here today, but I do know every detail of my life. I know my highs and I know my lows. I know my good things and I know my weaknesses. I know every sin that I've committed, but I also know the power of Jesus Christ that is work, at work in my life. I want to speak this over you today. If you've come here, you thought it was going to be a normal Sunday. You thought your pastor was going to tell a bunch of jokes and have a good time and you were going to leave feeling good. You are going to leave feel, feeling good, but not because of humor. You're going to leave feeling good today because the grace of God is in the room. And the power of the Spirit of God is going to free you from the sin in your life. And you're going to go and sin no more. You're going to make the change. You're going to live for God. You're going to be the person that you've always wanted to be. Because deep inside your heart, you know it's always, it's always who He has wanted you to be. There's a, there are those in the room, and you don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I don't need you to. There's the, those that are watching online and those in the room, you're struggling with sexual sin. It's all around us every day. It's everywhere we turn. It's everywhere we look. But the enemy's, the enemy's his chains are being broken off of your life right now. All we have to do is receive forgiveness and receive the grace of God in our life. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for myself and every person in this room that sin has been standing at your door, waiting. The, the, the Bible teaches that the enemy is crouching at the door waiting for you to grab a hold of you. Sin wants to trap you. And you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and trying to manage, but today you no longer manage. You break the back of that thing in your life. I want to pray for you. Secondly, I want to pray for those who the accuser, his voice has been in your ears. Maybe there are accusers in your life. I want to silence the accusers. For Jesus did not come to accuse. He never accused the adulterous woman. He never accused me and he never accused you. But rather he offered his love. Your accusers are being silenced. You no longer have to hear their voice. But you can know who you are in Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed. 
there's sin in your life. We're masters of managing sin, but we need to be repenters of our sin. If you're here today and something's tugging on your heart, as I'm speaking, you feel the love of God, but you feel this, just, you so desperately want to be freed from something. You, you want it to let go, and you're tired, and you're weary. And you can, you can act one way to the world, but as you're here today and the Holy Spirit is moving, you are so done with that part of your life. I want to pray for you today. Can you just slip up your hands? Well, everyone's head is bowed and no one's looking around, but I want to know who I'm praying for. And I see hands going up. There are hands going up front to back. If you're, if you're at home, just raise your hand. Here we go. Father God, right now, I pray for every person in this room whose hand is raised and those who struggle to have the courage to raise their hand. God, you know what's going on in our life. You know the sin that needs, we need to be set free from. We desire to be set free from. We're tired of managing sin. We're tired of it having a hold on us and controlling us. Lord, I declare right now that the sin that is leading us to death is broken today. Every sin, every hidden sin, every, every, every word in your, in your scripture, in your law that is causing us to be led away from you, we break it off right now. Things that have been there for generations, Lord, we break it now. In your name we pray. Lord, decades of sin, years of sin, years of torment, it is gone right now through the power of Christ, through the power of the Spirit that is present and is freeing us from sin. Now, Father, I, I speak to those in this room. The accuser is in our ear. The accuser is in our life. Reminding us of what we've done. Reminding us of our mistakes. Reminding us of our struggles and of our past. Lord, I declare that the voice of our accusers is silenced right now. That all we would hear is the voice of our loving Father. We would hear things like, well done, good and faithful servant. We would hear things like, go and sin no more, for I am not here to accuse you. We would hear things that, that, that you, while we were still sinners, you died for us. We hear your voice and your word that you love us and you love us so much, you sent your only son to die for us. We receive your love, we receive your forgiveness, and we cut off the voice of the accuser in our life. Now, Father, as Christians, as believers, as your church, as those who are desiring to be Christ-like, may we never be accusers. And Father, forgive us when we have accused others of sin and accused others of wrongdoing. Lord, we want to be like Jesus was. We want to be Jesus who pushed away the accusers but saw the heart of the young woman and freed her from her sin. Lord, we want to be people that are conduits of forgiveness to this world, that are conduits of your love and your grace to this world. We, we walk in your grace. We are who we are because of your grace, and we want others to know that same grace, so we will not be accusers. Lord, we will be people who call sin, sin, when it is brought to us. But we won't accuse and we won't condemn. We will send your love into the world. We will bear witness that if you loved us if you loved us in our stuff and in our sin you love everyone Lord let us make a difference and be a light in this world in Jesus name we pray Amen